Good morning. It's good to be back. I just realized this morning that I'm back. I forgot I was gone until people said, hey, it's good to have you back. Cindy and I were celebrating some of the holidays up in Turlock, middle of the state, by Modesto, up above Fresno by an hour, in case you've never heard of Turlock. But that's where Cindy's from. We were visiting her mom and um, enjoying some time up there. It is good to be back. Uh, and I'd like to welcome you to the first Sunday of 2013. This is going to be a big year for Church in the Valley. I, I don't feel like I've been gone because I've, giving, I've been giving so much thought to what we're preparing to do as a congregation. It's sort of like a wedding. I was involved in a wedding um, about a week and a half ago or so, a couple weeks ago. And you do a lot of preparation for a wedding. And then... You hear the cue, and it's time to go out there and start the wedding. That makes me nervous, because I'm generally the guy standing in the middle of the thing, waiting for the whole thing to happen, and I'm not very formal. So I'm always nervous that I'm going to say something really stupid and just throw the whole thing off kilter. But what always happens at the end of the wedding is the couple is married. <laughs> it, all, it always happens. That's what, at least in my wedding so far, <laughs> that, that's what's happened. <laughs> and so I feel like right now we're getting closer and closer to the wedding as a congregation. We've been making plans, getting ready for the campus launch in Alhambra. And on February 10th, it's our final preview service. That begins the weekly services at each campus. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we're we're going to see what God does, and we're going to walk with Him. And after February 10th, we're we're going to be married. <laughs> we're we're going to be in separate campuses, and thankfully, God is going to be walking with us through this time. In this series that I'm starting today, at the very beginning of the year, I think it's good good time to talk about following, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, But we're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus in his own words. And I thought it'd be great to go back to basics as we're getting ready to do all these things, as we've got all the preparation, all the things going, as we're looking ahead to the new year, thinking about maybe maybe we're past last year, we're over it, and we're on to the new year. What, What is it that we need to focus on? And if you've decided to follow Christ... What you need to focus on is following him in the way that he said, in his own words. And so we're going to dig into that. We all come to the Bible with ideas about how Christianity works, formed from our upbringing, from experiences, from others that talk about how it works, whether they're right or wrong, but we have these ideas about how Christianity works, how life works, who God is, who Jesus is. And if we're going to grasp Jesus' words and meaning for our lives, we have to set aside our preconceived notion of, of what they mean. We have to do our best to strip away the bias that we have from our background and our upbringing and all that mixed in and try to figure out what he's saying it means to follow him. And what he does over and over again is he challenges our values, 
our attitudes, and he really goes after our actions to, to show us how to find the best possible way to live. This is what he does over and over again. As I get into the scripture and I find out what he says about life, it's challenging to me. I remember I was thinking back to when I first decided to follow Christ. One fear of mine was that if I get serious about following Christ, I'm going to have to be uncool because it just seemed uncool to me. It didn't seem, that was a high value of mine. It's a high value in our culture. Cool isn't even on Jesus' radar, I find out. As I get into the Bible, cool doesn't matter to him in any way, shape, or form. Doing God's will is the focus for a Christ follower. If it's cool, that's great. If it's not cool, doesn't matter. We're following Christ. We're doing God's will. Some are going to like it and others won't. I've learned that trying to be cool is a complete waste of my time. It's one of those values that's just been set aside. I, I struggle with it because I'm a person, a human being, and an American. But trying to set it aside, it's a waste of time. Some of my best ideas and attitudes have been shot to pieces when I understand what Jesus is saying, when I get in Scripture and find out what he's saying. I, I've had a bad attitude toward dogs. I'm confessing that, and some of my close friends will, will laugh when they hear this, but I'm serious about what I'm going to say. Um, I'm not a dog lover in any way, shape, or form. I think they've... Okay, I'm in the middle of trying to change, okay? I'm trying to change my attitude. This is what God does. I have thought in the past, they're just a bother. You have to take care of them, and I'd watch pet owners, and they love their dogs. They go to great extents to take care of their dogs, great lengths to take care of them. They have to, they go on a vacation, they've got to figure out how they're going to take care of the dog, and, and I've sort of had an attitude about that. And then... I read a passage in the Old Testament about how um, godly people take care of their animals. And that began to shift my attitude toward pet owners <laughs> and, and the hassle that they go through in taking it. And I thought, well, if you're going to have a pet, you need to take care of the pet. So that's like one little shift God began to make in my mind. And then this week, I was reading the passage where Paul says, you know, I've become all things to all people so that I don't put up any barriers between myself and the people I'm trying to communicate the truth with. And I was walking somewhat innocently around my neighborhood like I do, and the thought struck me, your attitude toward dogs puts up a barrier between you and the owners. So you need to change it. I'm working on it. As you can see, I'm working on changing it. But this is what it means to follow Christ. You go to the scripture, you go to his words, you read what he said, and you change to fit them. You want to fit into them. And that may seem like a small thing, your attitude toward dogs, but it's a big thing to, to many people. Puts up barriers. Dog, dog lovers seem to be multiplying. 
And it dawned on me that my attitude toward dogs matters. So I'm going to change it. I'm working on it. Romans 12.2 says that this is how we follow. This is how we're changed. This is how we're transformed by the renovation of our mind. We get into the Bible. God speaks to us. We throw some stuff out and we rearrange other things. We put the important values at the very top. Jesus is very clear that following him requires a willingness to sacrifice our notions, ideas, desires, and agenda to make a complete shift from our customary way of looking at things, our customary way of living and viewing life to his way. This is what it means to follow him. Look at Mark 8, 34. This is sort of like our theme verse. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In other words, set yourself aside. Don't worry about your reputation, your, your, the opinion of others related to cool or anything else. I, I have to choose this daily. But I, I deny myself. I'm going to follow Christ. I deny myself. I take up his cross. I, I become willing to die for doing God's will, for doing what's right by him, before him, and right by people that he's put in my way, that he's put around me. And I need to be willing to be misunderstood and ridiculed even for the sake of following Christ. So this is what he says it means to follow him. I deny myself. I take up my cross. I'm willing to die daily to live for him. And I follow him. This is what he did. Basic truth that we find in life is that the life we've always wanted is experienced in completely the reverse of our natural inclinations and tendencies. This is what we find in Scripture. So to follow Christ, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the one who is showing us the way. He has shown us the way, and he is showing us the way. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how the decision to follow Christ works its way out into our everyday lives. And what I've done is I've gone through the book of Mark, it's the second book in the New Testament, and I've pulled out all the red letter words, which are, if you have a red letter edition Bible, it's all Jesus' words, all of his words that relate to following him. And we're going to look at those over the course of this series. We're going to dig in and find out what he said. Mark is the second book, as I said, in the New Testament, but it was the first one written. It's the oldest gospel. It was written around A.D. 57 or 58, just over, right around 20 years after Jesus died on the cross. Mark was not an apostle, but he was an associate of Peter, who was an apostle. He was an associate of his. He was not an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, but he accompanied Peter and heard all of his stories, everything that he taught about Jesus, and he faithfully wrote it down so that we can read what he said. It's not in chronological order, but it's there. It's reliable. He was Peter's interpreter to a wider audience by writing down the things that Peter taught and said and the stories that he told very, very faithfully. Jesus' first recorded words in the red letters... If you have that edition, 
is Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was arrested, John the Baptist, talking about, he was preparing the way for Jesus. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now there is a ton packed into this statement. We're going to try to unfold some of it this morning. But what Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says this because he's the king of a spiritual kingdom that will be fully realized at some point in history in God's time. But here's the first lesson of following. To follow means he becomes our king. And Jesus is the king of a very real kingdom. Right now invisible but it's very very real he says the time is fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand in america we're accustomed to democratic rule we we know all about that for the most part we we haven't experienced what it's like to live in a kingdom it's very different so it's important to understand the difference between a democracy or a republic and a monarchy monarchy or a kingdom In a democracy, the power for governing is derived from the people. In a kingdom, all the the power for ruling is held by the king. It doesn't come from the people. A republic or a democracy is owned and governed by many individuals. In a democracy, the rules are set by the people. They have the right to elect those who rule over them. They, they can also vote to change the rules they are required to live by. That goes on constantly in the political realm. We know all about this. We know, we know the battle over uh, policies and rules, amendments, and things going on in our country. That's a democracy. In a kingdom, the rules are made by the king. He owns the kingdom. The people have no voice in making the rules. They must live by. The king makes the laws, and there is no means for the people to change those rules. A kingdom is governed by a king who owns everything in that kingdom. His word is law and can only be changed by him. All who live in that kingdom are subject to his rule. They have to obey the rules or suffer the consequences for disobedience. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. Can't see it, but the kingdom of God means that we have allowed him to be our king. He is the one who rules in us. So the first lesson in following goes against our experience as Americans and our nature. When we choose to follow Christ, we follow a king who makes the rules that we must follow. And thankfully, he is a good king, so if we follow, we reap a blessing. But if we do not follow, we suffer the consequences. That's not native to our experience and understanding, but that's what it means if you're going to step into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in a democracy, we tend to get hung up on fairness. In God's kingdom, the focus is on love and justice, not necessarily fairness. 
We can trust the king to always do what is loving and just, but it won't always seem fair from our vantage point. It won't always make sense to us, and he's really not that concerned that it makes sense to us, but if we, if we ask in the right way, he'll show us what's going on. Jesus told a story in Matthew 21 through 15. I don't have it on the screen or anything, but you can jot that down. Uh, he told a story about some workers. Some of the workers worked all day. Others started at various intervals during the day. Finally, some worked one hour. It's not fair from our vantage point that the, the master decided to pay these people the same wage across the board. Those who worked all day, those who worked one hour, they all got the same. Doesn't make sense. But he owns it. He did what he's promised. He did what he promised to those who started out early in the day. He was just. And it was his grace that allowed him to pay everyone. So we have to learn to respect God's place as king. He's going to do whatever he pleases. And we do better when we don't call him into question. We can ask questions. We can ask him to show us. It's okay to struggle and seek answers to the things that don't make sense to us, but not to call him into question. He's the king. Once you decide to follow Christ, that's what it means. He's the king. He's in charge. He sets the rules. I try to figure out what those are, and I try to live in line with them. Another thing about this kingdom is it's, it's presently invisible, but it's very real. Romans 14 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not tangible, in other words, but it's of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We know we're in the kingdom when we begin to experience righteousness, peace, and joy, when we begin to see these things growing in our lives, when we experience them under his rule. And the church is designed to be a colony of the kingdom. Just like we started out as a country, colonies of England, of, of a kingdom, we're, we're designed as a church to be a colony of the kingdom. We're an outpost of heaven, far from perfect But you can still see the clear marks of righteousness, peace, and joy in the group as we aim to follow him, as we set ourselves to follow him and walk with him. I've noticed this is extremely attractive to people who come around Church in the Valley and haven't yet followed Christ. As we set our heart to follow him, he grows these things in us, righteousness, peace, and joy, and it attracts people. But you, you can see the reality, you can experience a little bit of it as you relate to people in the kingdom, but unless you get into the kingdom yourself, you don't experience it in you. You don't experience his rule. So it's important that we seek entrance to the kingdom by taking our first steps. God isn't going to rope you into the kingdom. He is not going to drag you in. You have to choose to get in on your own. And this is important to understand what Jesus says here, because the way you take your first steps is the same way that you keep following and taking the, the next steps as you walk with the Lord Jesus. Mark 1.15, the last part says, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, it said, Repent and believe in the gospel. These are the first steps into the kingdom of God. 
we, we tend to view God and his kingdom from the ground up. In other words, man-centered view of God from our vantage point. In other words, from our perspective based on what we can figure out in our own mind. And we, when we hear what it takes to become a Christ follower, we tend to think of it sort of like buying a ticket to Disneyland. You know, I, okay, I know, repent, believe in the gospel. That's what it takes. And I, I'm going to think this through. I'm going to investigate. And then I'm going to buy my ticket. Or it's sort of like picking out a movie to go to. I'm going to think, think it through, and then I'm going to decide which movie. Okay, I want, I want this one, and I'm going to punch my ticket when I go. When we're ready to go, we'll buy the ticket, get it, get it punched, and enter the kingdom. When you get into the Bible, when you get into what Jesus is saying here, you realize we shouldn't view entering the kingdom as so automatic and so self-determined. That's the real problem. If we do view entering the kingdom of God in this way as self-determined, I just sort of make up my mind and I choose to enter, and when I flip the switch, I'm in, uh, we've missed something important about it. Jesus tells us that to get into the kingdom, we must repent and believe. The reign of God in my heart begins when I repent of my sin and believe in the gospel. Repent in various Greek dictionaries. I'm just going to give you a flavor of what that word means in the Greek this was originally written in. Um, Actually, Jesus probably spoke it in Aramaic, but we're going to dig into the words. Uh, It says, repent means to think differently, to change direction. So repentance is... Uh, to change my thought, to change of direction, a change of mind. One who repents, repents of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. One who repents begins to abhor the errors and misdeeds in their life. They, they look at them in horror and they shudder. Repentance includes a deep sorrow for sin. This change of mind involves both a turning from my sin and wrong and a turning to God. It's a 180 going a whole different direction. To repent, I must realize I'm wrong and readily admit it. We must be sorry for our sin. Our current focus on self-esteem creates a wall to this. It's one of the things we, we have a trouble getting past. Because if you're trying to build up your own self-esteem, it's very difficult to admit any wrong. If we don't get past the focus on self-esteem and admit that we've done wrong, it's a wall that can keep us out of the kingdom. If, if you don't start following Christ, now I, I ho- hope you'll understand this in the way I mean it, but you have to start out following Christ. You have to understand before you take that first step that you're in a pit. You're, you're in a pit that you have dug 
with your own wrongdoing and misdeeds. And you're in a pit that you can't crawl out of. You cannot get out of that pit on your own. You, you have dug the pit through disobedience to God, the one who made you and who right, rightfully deserves your honor and obedience. If you don't understand this about following Christ, and you try to start following him from level ground without realizing you're actually in a pit that you've dug yourself that you cannot get out of, you feel entitled, not grateful. It completely colors the rest of your experience in following Christ. That's why Jesus says we have to repent. There needs to be a sorrow for my sin. I need to realize the predicament I'm in without Jesus Christ and what he's done. Repentance alone is not enough. And so we have to believe. But it's important to watch out that we don't take entering the kingdom of God for granted. We get in by his grace, by the grace of God and his initiative. When we realize we're in a pit, we dug this pit, we cannot get out, we turn to him and then we believe. Now what it means to believe is to have faith in a person or thing, to entrust, especially your spiritual well-being, to Christ. To be persuaded of, to place your confidence in, and to give your life to. This is what you do when you decide to follow Christ. This is what it means to repent and believe. You turn from the sin and you trust Christ completely to pull you out of the pit because of what he's done. Repentance alone is not enough. We have to actively put our faith in Jesus Christ. We put our life in his hands, and we, we trust him with it. To believe is to take action and follow based on trust. What we believe is the gospel or the good news about Christ. And I'd like to share with you a gospel presentation this morning, which is a summary of the good message. The gospel... Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel, just it only means good message. That's what that word means. It's good news. It's a good message about Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to share this presentation. It's called Two Ways to Live with you. If you have an iPhone, you can download the app for 99 cents. It's going to cost you a buck. But it's great. If you want to go over this presentation, uh, you can do that. We have some copies of it on the resource table. Feel free to pick one up. But I find it to be a very comprehensive understanding of the good news about Jesus Christ. So uh, if you're trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ, investigating Christianity, uh, you, you can download it, pick it up on the way out, go online, Google Two Ways to Live. It'll be the top, the top uh, search on the search engine, uh, at least the one I used. And uh, you, you, you can dig in a little more. But I want to go over this, especially at the beginning of the year, because this good message is the foundation for following Christ. This is it. 
There are two ways to live. This, this presentation says, the message at the heart of Christianity is really quite simple. It's a message from the Bible about God and his son, Jesus. It is about life and death and the choice that we all face. And it all starts with a loving creator, God. God is the loving ruler of the world. God made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. The first man, Adam, was the head of the human race. What that means is everything under him and all those who come from him and after him are affected by the choice that he makes. But since we become the rulers, we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. What will God do about this rebellion? God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. We're in a pit. This is what we all deserve because we've rebelled against the one who made us. We're in a pit we cannot crawl out of on our own. Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. God's justice sounds hard, but because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Yet by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. I heard a man who said this week, the best word to describe the, the gospel is substitution. Jesus took our place. He paid the price for our rebellion, our sin. And he became the head of the kingdom of God. Our representative. So if we choose to entrust our life to him, if we repent and believe, give our life to him, and let him rule in our heart, he becomes our substitute. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. But that's not all. God raised Jesus to life as the ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge. 1 Peter 1.3, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, where does that leave us? There are two ways to live. Our way, we can reject the ruler, God, try to run life our own way. He allows this. We can make the choice. The result is we're condemned by God and we're facing death and judgment. We're in the pit. God's new way is to submit to Jesus as our ruler, to rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. And the result is we're forgiven by God and given eternal life. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Which way, the, the presentation asks, which way represents the way that you want to live? My way or God's way. If you want to live God's way, talk to God, repent, admit your rebellion against God, 
that you deserve punishment for your rebellion and ask for his mercy. The moment you seek God this way and seek to enter his kingdom by his grace, he lets you in. But you have to take that step. Ask God to help you change from being a rebel to someone who lives with Jesus as a ruler. When I seek God and his mercy, he lets me in. And then submit to Jesus. Let him change anything that he wants to change and keep trusting, keep, keep moving on in this way. There are two ways to live, and God will honor the choice that you make in this life that he's given you. He gives us a life, and in our lifetime, he lets us choose. And he honors the choice that we make. But it's important to realize it's a forever decision that we're making. First Chronicles 28.9 And you, Solomon, my son, David's speaking to his son Solomon, obviously, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. He gives grace, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. After I've decided to follow Jesus by making my, him my king, I keep following the same way. It's important to understand all that because we take our next steps and the next step and each step, we keep following the same way. Romans 12, 2, I talked about earlier, says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're changed when we keep changing our mind to match up with God's truth. That's how we change. This is a daily thing for me. And the pattern is repent, believe, and repeat. <laughs> I, I keep repenting. I keep changing my mind. I keep changing my direction. Like your, you know, for me, my attitude toward dogs. Okay, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm trying to change that. Not mainly because people are important to me. And so I got to learn to love dogs. I'm, I'm working on it. But I, I repent of the wrong attitude, and I change, and I put my faith in God to help me with the right attitudes, and then I begin to grow. When I use words that tear others down, I need to repent. Genuine sorrow for my sin and ask God to forgive. Sometimes we're cold, sometimes we're hard-hearted. We, that, that should scare us. We need to ask for help to see what's going on. Ask God to change us and ask God to help us grow. If I start trying to manipulate my family to do what I want them to do, what I think's best, I need to repent of that. I need to put my faith, I need to believe in Jesus and put my faith in him to, to lead my family if they will follow him in the best way. I don't manipulate. I want to lead them, but I don't manipulate. If jealousy causes me to undermine a coworker and ultimately hurt the company in some way, I repent of that. I believe that God will put me in the position he wants. I trust him. I repent and believe, and this goes on and on and on and on. This is how God changes us. This is how we get into the kingdom. Once you're in, you're in. You're secure. But you get in, and you need to keep repenting and believing in order to grow. The process continues. God uses this process to change our hearts and minds to be more like him. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper tonight. And the Lord's Supper 
uh, is something that we do because Jesus, the king, asked us to do it. He, he asked us to set a time aside, uh, aside a time to honor him, to remember his sacrifice, what he's done. Lord's Supper is for those who've decided to make Jesus Christ their Lord. Uh, it's set aside for those who are already in the kingdom and have decided to follow. Practically what it is, is it's a time to remember, to repent, and rekindle our love for him, our appreciation, our gratitude, our heart to follow, and to do what the Lord Jesus has asked us to do. We remember that, that Jesus has died for us on the cross. It's a memorial to his sacrifice. We take the time to reflect on our relationship to God and others and repent of any wrongdoing in our lives, and we seek forgiveness from God. And if we've hurt someone else, if we've outwardly done wrong to someone, we get that straightened out as well. The Bible says we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In other words, we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper flippantly in rebellion to His ways. If we're living in rebellion, we shouldn't take it. We're heaping judgment on ourselves if we do that. It's a time when God rekindles. For me, my experience is God rekindles my love for him as I go back to remember what Jesus has done, and he brings refreshment. Repentance is the path to refreshment. Uh, Acts 3 says, repent therefore and turn again, and God will bring times of refreshing into your heart and life. And so we're celebrating that tonight. Wanted to go quickly over what it means, and we'll talk more about it tonight, but you're, you're invited. If you've decided to follow Christ, we'd love to have you there. It's going to be in a new place, and we're going to, I think we may end up cramming ourselves into the space. It'll seat about 100, 120 people, maybe. We're going to find out. Uh, but it should be a very good time coming together as a family to remember, to repent, and rekindle the love that God's given us for him. I'd like to ask the band to come up, if they would. And I'd like to ask you, while they come up, to pull out your connection card that's in your program. And in a moment, we're going to receive our offering. If you could take the time to finish completing any information or next steps you'd like to let us know about uh, on that card, that'd be great. When the offering ushers come by, you could drop it in the offering. That, that would be helpful. Here's some suggested next steps, just a couple. Uh, first one, keep following by changing my mind about. Maybe as I've talked, God brought something to mind that you need to let go of, a value, an attitude, a pattern, a habit, something you need to let go. And, and you want to you wanna say, that's my next step. I need to let go of that. Another step could be for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior, and I will follow him as Lord. I, I'm going to make him my king. I'm going to repent of my own way. I'm going to follow him as Lord and leader. And then there's some other options for passing out door hangers, if you'd like to help with that, or conducting the surveys that are coming up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word. Jesus, thank you for paving the way, for setting the example, for showing us how to find real life. Help us, God, to choose to go opposite 
of our natural inclinations, our native understandings, to trust you, to repent of our sin, to believe in you, and to trust you with our lives. Help us do this, God, because we need your help. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.